and welcome to Broadway Binge. I'm Jeremy. And I'm Hannah. And today we are going to talk to you guys about the classic The Sound of Music by Rodgers and Hammerstein. Um, so this is a episode I think a lot of people are probably have been waiting for. It is a lot of people, one of their favorite movie musicals. Um, one of the most beloved movies of all time. If you adjust for inflation, it is still to this day the third highest grossing movie in American history. I did not know that. Yeah, Gone the with film. Yeah, the film. Gone with the Wind is the most the highest grossing movie if you adjust for inflation, followed by Star Wars, the original from nineteen seventy seven. And then this is in third place. It ran in movie theaters for four years. It's it was really a massive cultural thing. In a time when you would think that all the culture is about rock and roll, you know, nineteen sixty four. Um, but honestly, I mean, who, who doesn't love the sound of music? Everyone from every walk of life from multiple countries around the globe loves the sound of music. Maybe not if you're a Nazi, you know, but, um, true. And there um, are a lot of those now. That's true. There are a lot of those now. Um, but you know, here we are. Um, also really notable. Uh, I think this is our first time recording together in Philly. That's not true. Damn it. Not true. Well, Jeremy's in Philly is really the point of what yeah, I wanted to say. Um, <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> He's in Philly. We're using a fancy new microphone. We're yes. continuing to move up in the world. I think <laughs> I think the last one we recorded here was uh, the um, was South Pacific, which oh. also starred Mary Martin, actually. So, so there's that going on. Well, that's maybe maybe that's why. There's another cast member in common, actually, between those two movies, who we'll talk about later on. Oh. Um, but um, a little background right. on the sound of music. The book was by Howard Lindsay and Russell Krauss. Music was by Richard Rodgers, of course, and the lyrics by Roger Hammerstein. And um, this was their final show together because Hammerstein died after it opened, but before the movie. Yeah. Um, This was Hammerstein's final show. Rodgers would go on to do some other shows. He even did a show... Um, with Stephen Sondheim as the lyricist, which didn't do well later on. Well, prob- that's more of like a mini-sode, I feel like, probably. Okay. Um, although we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, basically, so the Von Trapp family, who this is about, they're a real family. Um, it was, what? Yeah, you, wait, you didn't know that? No! Are you serious? No, I grew up being called the Von Trapp family. My last name's Van Skyver, um, and I'm one of four. Um, I have three sisters, and so growing up, we were the we were often referred to as the Von Trapps, so I assumed we were the real Von Trapp family, did not know there was another. <laughs> yeah, they were a real Austrian family who escaped from Nazi Germany. Um, okay, well. And there was a movie, a documentary, or it might have been fake, actually. But either way, it was a German movie, a West German film from 1956 called The Trap Family, um, huh. which was about them in real life. Um, they, like, really left Austria and traveled around the world singing. Um, and it really was, like, a nanny who married the father. A little bit less of a love story and more of a pragmatic situation, the okay. marriage. Mm-hmm. But it was a true story, and the movie was a hit in West Germany. So, um, one did, guy... Did the nanny in the in the documentary make the children costumes out of curtains? I don't think so. <laughs> well... Um, but I'm not even sure if that happened in the stage version, honestly. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna get to that. Wait, um, isn't that part of, that's part of, the, just part of the film. Well, yeah, so, I, I guess let's start there. Okay. I've never seen the stage version, have you? Um, I have. I saw it on Broadway as a kid, so whatever the revival would have been in, like, I don't know the early two thousands. Okay. Um, and then I've I've seen it um, multiple times. Like I think I've seen a, a handful of high school productions, and I saw the definitive version, uh, which would have been Carrie Underwood's uh, uh-huh. live version on NBC uh, with um, her lady Audrey McDonald as uh, <laughs> what's the name of that character? Uh, Mother Mother, Mother Superior. Superior. Mother yeah. Superior. Yeah. Great. So you actually might be able to disprove or agree with my. Well. Uh, my assertion. I'm not even going to go so far as to call this a hot take because it might sound provocative at first, but I think I can back it up with evidence. Okay. I think that The Sound of Music might be a bad musical. Ooh! I'm interested. Um, I think that's what's tricky for me about The Sound of Music is it's really tied up in nostalgia, right? Because like, I grew up watching the film, um, and I feel like I don't like the music, but I like it because it's it's dear to me. So like... I like think the Lonely Goat Herd is the wor- best worst song of all time. <laughs> so, so, so I'll I'll explain what I mean because there's people like clutching their hair right now. How dare you? It's my favorite. This is a classic. The Sound of Music movie is one of my favorite movies of all time. Right. I love the movie. I will watch it any day. As a musical. We're, this Broadway binge. We were talking about the Broadway show, and I mean it's a Broadway show that's been revived. It's possible the musical has changed since the original Broadway production. Mm-hmm. But from everything I've read, from old reviews and from testimonials of people at the time, and from listening to the original Broadway cast album, I have to say, if I was just going off the original cast album without having seen the movie, I don't think I would have liked the show. Also, Mm. at the time, reviewers did not like it, 
And there's a lot of interviews from people who were really reluctant to go work on the movie because they thought it was a bad show and they did not want to be involved in a movie of a bad musical. Well, all right, let's just follow this train um, and then we'll go back. But, like, what do you think? Why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it was such a more successful film? And so, and so I feel like then also the next part that, of that then is, like, the success of the film has sort of uh, positively, tarnished mm-hmm. isn't the right word, but, like, improved our opinion. Improved our opinion. Yeah. And it's possible that stage versions we've seen since then are better because, because I think the, the orchestrations and the plot and the characterization, people are copying the film. Yeah. Um, and even if perhaps some of the ordering of the songs and some of the songs that are in the stage version, not the film version, you might be stuck and styled with those to this day. Right. But because we've now seen in the movie that this can be done right, people are able Mm. to perhaps do it right. Whereas the original Broadway production, I do not think, from what I've heard, was done right. And I think the major theme, if you came into this podcast expecting us to just fawn over the movie, (laughs) we'll do some of that. But I'm springing this on Hannah, but the real theme of this podcast is going to be comparing the movie to the original Broadway cast album and realizing the original Broadway cast album is not good. No, I'm honestly here for this. Like, let's get into that. I mean, do we want to do any, like, brief sort of, like, do we want to do any more background about the show Yeah, just just to basically finish it off. So there was a director who liked the idea and wanted to do a, a, a play about the Von Trapp family singers where they actually sang the real Von Trapp songs with mm. maybe one or two songs from Rodgers and Hammerstein and then at a point they realize well we've got R&H let's just go all out mm-hmm. um, and R&H I mean the lyrics are the same from stage to screen the melodies are the same but it's just the orchestrations are so different everything just doesn't pop at, l- at least listening mm. to the album and I don't think the album is just like a worse version of the stage version because the uh, the reviews were, were pretty bad um, a lot of reviewers can, thought it was sort of too sweet and saccharine there wasn't one of the things i love about the movie is how dark there's this element of darkness underneath the whole time this tension you know is on the horizon and the musical i guess was just really sweet and it, there wasn't this level of darkness the songs were slower they hmm. didn't nothing felt as urgent hmm. um mary martin even though she's one of the all-time greats just like there, there's no one who can beat julie andrews certainly not and the man who played captain well, von trapp i guess was sort of like his lines were, he didn't seem as much of a three-dimensional character. He was kind of a prop and didn't really, was not compelling on his own as opposed to Christopher Plummer, recent right. um, Oscar nominee slash winner. He's so, he's so special. Yeah, who's Wait, am, we have to go amazing. back. Yeah. We have to go back. I'm sorry. You said something that we have to address, which is like Mary Martin v. Julie Andrews. And I just feel, I just feel that it's not useful to compare the two, you know? Yeah. Right? Like, like different, number one, different energies, right? Like, 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 like Julie Andrews is, to me... Um, I don't know, doing a totally different thing than Mary Martin, and um, I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't feel comfortable uh, asserting that one is better than the other. So yeah, I want to check us there. They're, they're sort of playing different types of of um, the character. Like yeah. Mary Martin played the character as it was written for the show, and I right. think it's just that when the movie was made, they had a different idea for the character. Right. And I think that idea ended up being better, and that's not Mary Martin's fault. Well, was Julie Andrews already pretty famous at this point? No, not this at all. This was her breakout. So she had been in Camelot on Broadway. Yes. That was her big Broadway break, okay. but she was not yet a name. Mm-hmm. Um, we've talked about this story a little bit in the My Fair Lady episode. That, oh, she was also in My Fair Lady. So she was a big Broadway star. Okay. A Broadway star. But she wasn't a film star yet. So they didn't want her to be in the My Fair Lady movie because she wasn't a big enough of a name. So they had Audrey Hepburn play that role. Right, we talked about this. And then meanwhile, um, meanwhile. Julie Andrews was chosen by Walt Disney to play Mary Poppins. Now, Mary Poppins, they knew they had a hit on their hands coming, but it had not been released to the general public yet. Right, um, right, right, right. But the, uh, the makers of... So the makers of the movie, and I think it's important to note, this is directed by Robert Wise, who's the same director as West Side Story, okay. which I think are arguably the two best movie musicals So he also knew what time. he was doing. He knew what he, he was, was doing. hitting the ground running, so to speak. Every other movie we've seen so far, musical-wise, has been sort of very flat, very old-fashioned looking, and you suddenly get these two that look like they could have been filmed this year. And, and that's Robert Wise. I mean, he took these two stage versions. And we also talked about in the West Side Story episode, I think the West Side Story bass musical holds up better than the West than the Sound of Music bass musical. But I also said, even at the time, I think the movie of West Side Story is better than any stage version is ever going to be. Yeah. And so much of that can be attributed to Robert Wise making these two movies and really seeing what the musical could be and mm-hmm. creating the perfect, unassailable version of that music. It's funny, I am thinking back through like that that film and how the things I love about it are actually probably mostly cinematic. Like even the Lonely Goat Herd song, I just really like like that that sequence of puppets and like the, you know, iconic image of uh, Maria twirling around in the field. Um, like that's, it's all very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting. 
Um, I'll read a little bit some, from some reviews of Great. Sound Music, and eventually we will get into comparing the songs and talk, going into the songs, talking about what we love about them in the movie and right. what wasn't so good. But <laughs> well, uh, Brooks Perhaps Atkinson, I'll yeah. push back at some point. We'll oh, yeah, see. feel free. Feel we'll free. see. <laughs> uh, Brooks Atkinson of the New York Times, uh, he praised Mary Martin's performance, saying she still has the same common touch, sharp features, goodwill, glowing personality. <laughs> sharp features, glowing but, personality. But he stated that the best of Sound and Music is Rodgers and Hammerstein in good form. Oh, sorry, that was another good thing. However, he said, <laughs> the libretto has the hackneyed look of the musical theater replaced with Oklahoma in 1943. Ooh. It is disappointing to see the American musical stage succumbing to the cliches of operetta. Oh. And then Walter Kerr in the New York Herald Tribune just wrote a straight-up bad review saying, before the sound of music is halfway through, it's promising chores. It becomes not only too sweet for words, but almost too sweet for music, stating that the evening suffers from little children. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The evening suffers from little children. Yeah, well, it is tricky, right? Like, most of the characters are children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It's making me think about Mary Martin, and, like, I feel like the only other show we've talked about that has, like, so many children far forward would be Peter Pan, right? Yeah. Is that true? And it's also trickier to do children on the stage than it is in a movie, because a movie, you just need to get, like, one good take from all of them. You could dub right. the children right. with other singers. You don't need, like, a group of children who can sort of cycle in and out every day. Yeah. And, and I mean, it's been done well, like Billy Elliot and stuff, sure. Matilda, but it's harder. It's harder, you're right, and there's so many children, and I feel like those tracks are all not terribly fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Like, some of them are. I've, I'm 16 going on 17. Huh. My cousin told me a story once that he saw a production of um, The Sound of Music where a kid messed up and said, I am 17. <laughs> and then paused and said, going on 17. Um, so shout out to Alex Greenfield, my cousin, mm-hmm. and that uh, experience. All right, what do you got for us? Um, so we're going to now dive into actually sort of like talking about the show, the movie, and the musical. Great. So our two main characters in the movie, at least, we've already sort of gone over the team for the musical. Um, the book was not very beloved. But it had a brand new screenplay. I mean, obviously, roughly the same plot with the song sort of in a different order. But a screenplay by Ernest Lehman, um, and it was directed by Robert Wise. And they sort of were both skeptical of taking the show, which they didn't really like so much on stage. But working together, they realized, like, this could be really good. And they actually had to convince... Christopher Plummer did not want to do it because... Hmm. He didn't think it was good enough. Even Julie Andrews was skeptical. And I know this because if you rent Sound of Music on Amazon and just keep pre- playing after the credits are over, there's like an hour-long documentary where Julie Andrews, what? 50 years later, walks through the town where they filmed it of Augsburg and like talks about making the movie. That sounds wonderful. Can we link to that? Um, yeah, I mean, we can link to the Amazon. Great. If you just go on Amazon. No, I'm not going to link to it. Just go, on Am- it. just go on Amazon and look for the Sound of Music. It's the only copy. Great. So they... Oh, yeah. So in terms of getting Julie Andrews, I mentioned earlier that um, Sound of Music hadn't come out yet, but Robert Wise and Ernest Lehman went to the Walt Disney Studios and were shown a cut of, um, sorry, Mary Poppins. They were shown a cut of Mary Poppins before it was released to general audiences just to see do they actually want this woman. Right. And they realized, oh my God, she's going to be a star. Yeah. She's going to be the biggest star in America. Yeah. So they got her after Mary Poppins was filmed, but before it came out, they went out to film Sound of Music. And then Mary Poppins came out she became a huge star and then went to go do Sound of Music when she was already a huge star and right. helped make this the most popular uh, movie that had mm. ever come out other than Gone with the Wind. So, okay. How, what was the time difference between when the uh, musical debuted and when the film was released? The musical's from 1959, and this was a big year because this was the same year as West Side Story right. um, and Pajama Game and <laughs> Fiorello. This, this is the, the year that Sound of Music and Fiorello tied for Best Musical in West Side what Story. What the hell? What yeah, the hell? Okay. We go over this every week. Well, this is interesting to me, though, because you were talking about how poorly received the Sound of Music yes. was, and yet it still beat West Side Story that year. West Side Story was not received spectacularly either. Yeah. Um, huh. That was more, I mean, it's always like, like critics like Next to Normal better than Billy Elliot, but Billy Elliot wins. You know, it's always this I way. I mean, well, it's tricky. We'll return to that at a later yeah. time. <laughs> um, but okay, so that was 1959. That was 59, and then the movie was from 1965. I think I said 64 earlier, but it okay. was, 1965 was when the movie came out. So it was released six years later. Yes. That's also significant, though. Like, I'm thinking about, like, that, that's a significant length of time. Like, I'm thinking yeah. about musicals that are released and bombed. I believe West Side Story, the movie, was only two years after the musical. That was right. in 61. 
so that was a much quicker turnaround. This was like, I mean, you know, it probably took them time to film it, of course, but... They had to location scout. They had to do all that stuff. Well, so that means that director, what's his face? Uh, um, Robert Wise. Yeah, like, probably made one and then immediately began to work on the next project, I'd imagine. Yeah, basically, probably. Um, or at least started, like, thinking about the second one, even if pre-production yeah. hadn't really launched into yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess let's sort of start at the top. Yeah, let's listen to some music. Yeah, so The Sound of Music, the movie, the opening is so iconic. And if you've never watched it on an HD screen before, I hadn't. And I had not realized how beautiful those opening helicopter shots. So good. Yeah. Also, Robert Wise, he'd already done the opening helicopter shots in West Side Story, and there was some pushback, like, really, you're going to do the same thing you just did for West Side Story? And he was like, no, trust me, it's going to be good. It's going to be great. Um, and it was the screenwriter, Ernest Lehman's idea to have it sort of start out with, like, flutes approximate, or it starts out with actual bird noises, yeah. which slowly go into flutes. Let's play it for you, and we'll see. I think it's actually a much slower intro in the movie, and they're speeding it up for the soundtrack. Sure. But even this, though, like, I imagine the stage version did not have bird sounds. Oh, we're going to get to how the stage version starts. <laughs> that was when I first realized that... You've been duped. I've been duped, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there shortly. Here we go. Slow zoom in. Mm-hmm. That was unbelievable. Um, so <laughs> the musical starts with the nuns singing. I'm not even going to bother playing that. It, the, the movie sort of has the same thing after the sound of music, the nuns doing their processional. The musical opens with that. Yeah. Then we cut to Maria, who I think is in the Abbey during the song, or at least like right outside the walls of the Abbey. Okay. Um, because there's no point in having her in the mountains when like you can't even have mountains. So here's how the song Sound of Music starts, and I'll just like let it play. <laughs> How do you feel that you've come in here armed with information that you're deploying in a very specific way? Yes. <laughs> I feel a little blindsided here. <laughs> I didn't know you were coming in this hot. <laughs> so I don't think it's a hot take to say this is a bad musical. I think this is a bad musical. I mean, I do think that it sounds like the cuts were good. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay. I think she's going to start. Okay, I like this. <laughs> it's a lower key. Yeah. It's significantly slower. It doesn't feel like this big release. Yeah. It's just like she casually steps into singing it. Well, it, it, okay, so like my take on it, please stop this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, like for me, Julie Andrews is like Raindrops on Roses, right? Like, like she yeah. is like this very youthful energy. Like there actually is a Mary Poppins feeling to it. It makes sense to me that they saw Mary Poppins and wanted her. Mm-hmm. And while I think they're very distinct characters, like, there's something very similar about like the right the nanny. I mean, it's very similar the trope of the nanny who shows up and causes a ruckus, and like even just that <laughs> soundtrack. Like she's not showing up and causing a ruckus. Mm-hmm. She's like plodding along slowly. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, it feels like the the, the film feels more energetic to me. Yeah. So you all know in the movie, <laughs> and I'm, I'm assuming everyone listening has seen the movie. If you haven't, get there and watch it, and then come back because I mean, it's it's the best. It's real good. Um. So in the movie, she then sings, you know, I Have Confidence in Me, which yeah. actually was written for the film uh, by Rogers did the lyrics as well, which you can notice because they're not as good. Because um, Hammerstein was dead. Yeah, but, the lyrics are not great. But, yeah. But, but it's a good character song. Robert Wise and Lehman wanted a new song there, so Rogers wrote the music. I like the music because, you know, that's what Rogers does. Um, so that's a new song. The other new song for the movie is um, um, I Must Have Done Something Good later on is the love oh, song. Because okay. there's not really a good love song in the show. Not really, no. Um, the show, and we'll play these later, the show has some songs that the um, the potential stepmom sings, um, right. which got cut. 
Um, so, so in the movie, she sings I Have Confidence in Me. She meets the kids. Then the kids are all scared in the thunderstorm after 1617, and that's when she sings These Are a Few of My Favorite Things. Right. In the musical version, right after she sings Sound of Music, Mother Abba shows up and is like, oh, Maria, why are you always, like, off in the clouds? And Maria says, uh, I think of my favorite things. And then she sings favorite things with Mother Abbas at the very beginning of the show. Wait, so the NBC version, before we play this, does the NBC version follow more closely the film or the musical? You know, when when preparing for this, it did not even occur to me to look at that. Retroactive thoughts. Um, Um, Okay, sorry, play this. We'll we'll pause. We'll we'll pause and then, like, look it up and edit that in. Okay. Um, So here is Favorite Things, the second song of the stage version. Oh, no, never mind. Obviously, it's Maria next. Okay. Roughly the same, slower. Everything in the album is slower, but that one's roughly the same. Here we go. Okay. Oh, this is like... (laughs) It's so... So slow. It does have an operetta feel, actually. It does. And you know what it's lacking, and this is why I love... The movie has this darkness the whole time, and this is lacking that darkness, which is why I can see why the critics thought it was, like, saccharine and and fluff and, like, making light of World War II, which is a really dark event. Right, because, I mean, the film just tries to turn at the end, you know? I mean, sorry, not the film, the the plot has to turn at the end. So you have to build up to to it. it. Yes. eventually the same together. I mean, this does sound upsetting to me. (laughs) I wouldn't say it has darkness, but it doesn't, like, I don't want to, I don't want to dream with them. I feel a little afraid of those people. No, and the scene with her singing to the children and making them feel better is so, it's so perfect. Like, Roger and Hammerstein wrote a perfect song and there was a scenario to put that song in with the existing characters to make it perfect and they just didn't, Realize it until Robert Wise and Ernest Lehman realized it. I mean, I want to know more about that process. Like, was Robert Wise like kind of re-engineering the story himself? I think him and Lehman were sort of working together. They were a team. Um, I just looked into it. Yes, the um, <coughs> Sound of Music Live with Carrie Underwood did use the original order from the original stage version. Well, then that's not all her fault that it was so bad. Oh, no, no, it's not Mary Martin's fault. Or, or you mean Carrie Underwood. Carrie Underwood's fault. Yeah, I think people probably had never seen a stage version, so they're like, this is worse than this the movie. Sucks, yeah. And it actually had to do with the fact <laughs> that it's not a good stage show, but everyone just assumes it's a good stage show, and the fact that it was bad has fault. to be the live version's fault, whereas the live version is just doing a bad musical. It's so interesting because I'm also thinking like right now it's so much the opposite with like our adaptations of films. Uh, like I don't know, there's so many bad film adaptations of musicals. Like uh, uh, Ghost comes to mind yeah. <laughs> recently. Like, like I feel like it's an interesting. I don't know. It's interesting and it probably just speaks to the fact that like musicals were so popular back then. Yeah. In a way that, that they aren't now. That, and yeah, yeah. And, and Robert Wise is you know top of his craft. Uh, let's let's play a little of the movie favorite things because you all love it and you want right. to hear it. Because you all love it and we want to give you the content you want. Oh come on. Whiskers on kittens, Are you kidding me? Bright copper kettles and lower. Interestingly. Interesting. It makes it more conversational, more approachable. You know. That little plucking that was not me. Yeah. Uh, it turns. It goes from minor to major. Mm-hmm. I wish you guys could see Jeremy right now. He's just filled with delight. Also, can we say this is not a Christmas song? It's not a Christmas song. Have you know? Did you know that they play this on like Christmas radio stations? That's egregious. And like in stores, when they're like when Starbucks is playing its Christmas playlist, they just okay. play this song. If anything, my favorite thing is actually a jazz standard. Like it is in the real book. It is like a yeah. song that is like um, Coltrane, I believe, had a very famous cover of my favorite things, where he like. I don't know. He, he his like chordal structures were so so sophisticated that people could almost not tell. We should play something. Yeah, let's, let's look it up. It. Yeah. All right, so this is John Coltrane. Yeah, and this is like a 13 and a half minute version of the song. Oh, let me skip, skip to the middle. Yeah, skip to it. But even then, it's it's. Oh, I've heard this before. Yeah. I feel like this plays in like the dentist's office. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this might be the full. No, this is the full version because there's also yeah. a full. Um, he's a full album called My Favorite Things as well. Uh, yeah, I've definitely heard this version. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, you can hear, if you listen to the full thing, it's actually, if you're into jazz, it's worth checking out. And you can hear when he's riffing on it. Um, but he took, like, that chord structure and did something totally wild with it. Um, and there are also, like, plenty of uh, versions of My Favorite Things that are just jazz covers. Like, for whatever reason, um, I don't know why, that that song, like, made its way into, like, the jazz community. Mm-hmm. Um, which I should probably research more about. I don't know if that was, like, post the musical coming out or if, like, that was just a song that had other... Like, it makes me think of, um, what's the song from Music Man that everybody is obsessed with? Um, the the there were bells on yeah. the hill, I never saw I feel like my favorite thing was So I guess we skipped over How Do You Solve the Problem Like Maria. I don't feel the need to play it. I just want to note that for my law school parody music group, I wrote a song uh, called How Do You Write Opinions Like Scalia That's that I think... Really some of my best work like it was like I thought the lyrics were really good the problem yeah. was he died oh um so and then it wasn't even that we wouldn't do a song about a dead guy but like the timing wasn't right so like by the time it was time to vote on the songs for the next semester like he'd been dead for six months so it was old news yeah so I just like missed my window of opportunity and was bummed out about that well I'm sorry that was disappointing for you. yeah um, I like how do you solve a problem like Maria oh I love it it's great yeah. it's really amazing lyrics by Hammerstein mm-hmm um, I also was, so I have confidence in me also happens in the movie, which we've talked about. Um, I, you know what it reminds me of, and this is an insult. Um, it reminds me in the same way that it's like an unfinished RNH song yeah. of now is the time. The oh Todd, God, how dare the you? The Todd Bourne That's so song. disrespectful. And it's, I mean, it's like definitely better than now is the time from Cinderella and, uh, listen back to our, um, guys and dolls episode yeah, if you want to hear out. that one. Todd Bourne Todd Bourne one of our best episodes. <laughs> one of our best but yeah, it reminds me of that and that it's sort of like just very simplistic and a lot of just like platitudes in the lyrics, nothing like insightful. Just like I have co- I have confidence in confidence. Well, and alone. it was not fully written by the team, so that makes sense. <laughs> This sounds like the Bonaparte song yeah. right here. <laughs> it does. Now is yeah. the time. The time is <laughs> here. Right no other time. Okay, I did do. enjoy this song going up though because there's something about like this woman who like is the heroine of the story and kind of against all odds. I don't know. I I, I loved. <laughs> I have confidence as like a young person. I was like, look at this strong woman with confidence in herself. Like you go, Maria. Mm-hmm. But all right, fair enough. Jeremy, I just feel like Jeremy came in with a bit of a stack deck today. I feel like he came in with a thesis, and he's um he's you know he's guiding the discussion. But um, I'm also here for it because I don't know that I had yeah. any strong. Although that, that's the only criticism I have of the movie. I have yeah. I have literally, literally, literally nothing bad to say about the movie other than the lyrics of that song. Are weird. I mean, the Lonely Goat Heart song is ridiculous. Oh yeah, yeah, that is. That is oh, I really like it. Like it's one that I like to sing to myself. Mm. But uh, yeah. Okay, what's next? Um, next in the movie is 16 going on 17, which, on which I, we don't have to play it. I just want to note that Charmian Carr, who plays Liesel, I think is like the most beautiful woman who's ever lived, and Wait, I had such a crush on her Charmian as a child. Carr. I feel like I probably also had a crush on her that would go to follow. Charmian yeah. Carr? C-H-A-R-M-I-A-N, yes, yeah, I'm just, yeah. we're just looking her yeah, up just now. just Google her. Oh, well. I mean, even now she's like pretty for an older woman, but like look at her okay, when she played. Tra- she is beautiful yeah. at all. She is, um, oh, I remember Look her. Look at her in that movie. I mean, come on. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Well, when I, when I was like little part. watching this movie, I was like having weird feelings about sure, her. Sure, yeah. sure. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that. Um, she kind of looks like Sarah. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I guess so. I see it, yeah. Um, brown hair situation. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Both of eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. So then, uh, Do Re Mi, which is one of the best filmed Oh, wait, no, you know what? Actually, I want to play a little bit of 16 Going on 17 because this is another okay. one I want to compare the two versions. Okay, fine. So here's the movie version. Just cut right to the middle. I don't care about this song. Yeah, I hate this Nazi. Yeah. Okay, that's all you... Basically, what I really want you to do is hear the version from the movie. <laughs> this song is stupid. <laughs> They're out in the rain, right? In the movie. Yeah, and in the woods. Here we go. So my note on this is it sounds kind of like a soft shoe number yeah. on the stage version instead of like a romantic dance around the gazebo. Yeah. I expect them to like do a little tap right now. It's a little yeah. slower. 
Right, which is oddly okay. A little more Broadway and less, like, Austria-Nazi-seeming. Yeah, which is funny, though, because this is... This is the film. No, 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 this is the, the stage. Oh, wait, I kind of prefer the stage version, weirdly. Well, you don't like either of them. Well... <laughs> I don't. That's that's valid. <laughs> so it's valid. The, the, I can I can understand preferring this like version because it's a little more like Broadwayish maybe. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it swings. This one swings yeah. more, which I don't yeah. dig. I like that. Like this is the song the Nazi character sings, and so right. it's like a little more like like German folk music. Yeah, I hear that. It kind of um, reminds me of like the Sun in the Meadow. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Oh right. yeah, yeah. From Cabaret. Like that. Like yeah. weird. Like yeah. Nazi. Like. <laughs> yes. I agree. Okay. I was actually cast as the Nazi character in Cabaret in college, but <laughs> yeah. then the guy who was playing the main American dude quit the show. Yeah, so, I remember that. So, you got so to they like, <laughs> yeah, they like dropped me in to play Cliff like two weeks before the show. I had been supposed to play the Nazi, even though like yeah, it was directed by Jewish. Kate Herzlin, who we oh, had yeah, on. friend of the pod. <laughs> yeah, um, Peter Pan. Yes. Um, okay. Let's see. Favorite things we already went over. How great that is. And I how mean, I want to talk about Dory Me. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, the song that every child used to learn solfege. Solfege? Solfege? What's that? The do re mi. It's what they call that, those oh, I, signs. I, I, I didn't know well, that. Well, apparently you didn't learn I it. I just thought it was the do re mis. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm looking up pronunciation solfege. of solfege. My, my elementary school... My elementary school music teacher did not use that word with us. She just said what? do re mi fa sol la ti do. All right, well, hold on. Solfege pronounced. We're looking this up first. It's not playing. It's... it's con- solfege. Solfege. <laughs> solfege. I don't want to hear it again. <laughs> okay. Well, we learned um, something. Let's play a little bit. Of, where you learn so fast. Yeah, so Do Re Mi is amazing, and it's definitely the location scouting on it was spectacular. A lot of the shots that were shot are just like you can't even believe that this is like only a few years after some of the other musicals we've watched, like Damn Yankees or whatever. Like this, such amazing um, creative shots and creative angles, and it's, it's just really incredible to watch outdoor photography. I'll play a little bit of the movie, and then I will go back to and show the Broadway version. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) We can just listen to that again. (laughs) Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. When you read, you begin with... She act-sings. She's better than anyone. She act-sings the shit out of this whole show. Because when she acts, sings, which is not her full-out voice, her voice is still better than most people's best singing, correct? Skipping around, because long song. Oh. Wait, we have to go back to something in a bit. Okay. Okay, okay, that gives you the idea. Great. Um, I'm going to now play a little bit of the stage version of Do Re Mi, and then we'll go to whatever. Oh, no, I have just other information. But okay, yeah, okay. Do Re Mi. Yeah, I love that song. That was, like, one of my favorite songs as a kid. I remember auditioning oh, I for an acapella group that in third grade that my friend started um, with that song, and I did not get in. So. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> so now here is Do Re Mi from the musical. Nope. That is not it. Oh. <laughs> okay, so that's before Do Re Mi. Yeah, that's weird. That's also before Do Re Mi. Why? What's going on? Okay. Children. The problem is when you look on Spotify, the title of each song is the original Broadway cast, so it's really difficult sure. to tell. It's hard to know. Okay, let me like. <laughs> I feel like we're in hell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. I'm already less inspired. It's more regimented. Why is she so on the nose with every note? I mean, I feel like it's not her fault. Like, she didn't know. You that this begin needed. with do, re, mi. Yeah. Way slower. Yeah. I'm so upset that you, you don't know be about mean to me. No, I'm here for Maria Martin. Mary Martin, yeah. Maria Martin. Maria Martin's a show that my friends just produced. She's also, you know what the other problem is that we haven't diagnosed yet? And, like, this isn't, this is also not her fault. She's American. Something about her being British, about children just being British, she makes it work. Wait, remind me, in the film, like, how present is her... Her British accent. It, yeah. I mean, she says every word with her nat- with her natural Julianne's British accent. accent. I like don't. It's so funny. I don't recall that character as British. And even though Christopher Plummer is Captain Von Trapp, is 
American, he sort of yeah. does the transatlantic thing a little bit. Yeah. So it sort of just sounds weird being in like this like pre-Nazi Austria, mm-hmm. having like just like Bummer. good old American Mary Martin sounding just like she did in South Pacific, where she was playing like a good old American from Arkansas. I have this like weird memory of Nina Ariadna. Ariadna. Hold on, let's look that up. Nina Ariadna. Ariadna. Thank you. Um, who won the Tony in 2012 for Best Actress in um, Venus and Fur? She accepted the Tony from Christopher Plummer. Or he was on stage when she accepted it, and she got up and she said, "Like you were my first crush," as um, Captain Von Trapp in *The Sound of Music*. That's valid. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, and mine was Charmaine Carr. Favorite. Yeah. There you go. Um, Wait, we have to go back to something. We do. You were asking about why my favorite things, or you were why is it refuting that's a Christmas, not not a Christmas song. Mm-hmm. My favorite things, right? Um, obviously, originally sung by Mary Martin. Um, Julie Andrews, who played Maria in the 1965 film version, as we said, had previously sung the song on the Christmas special for the Gary Moore show. Oh. So it had this weird legacy as a Christmas tune. Oh. Um, yeah, so I feel like that's probably part of that it. That has to be the entire reason. Right, I mean, that must be the only reason. And then reason. it just remained a Christmas song, even though people don't yeah. know why, but, like, that's why. And then, okay, a little more specific information about the Coltrane version we played. Um, it's a 14-minute version. It's an E minor, which is obviously an odd choice. Um... And it is, uh, yeah, it was the title track for his album, My Favorite Things. Um, and after that point, it became a jazz classic and a signature song for Coltrane in concert. Um, but the album was recorded in 1960 and released in 1961. So that was also released before the film was, which is interesting. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I bet she was cast, but like. Yeah, I mean, yeah. she, let's see. So she sang it on the. It doesn't say when the game was shown. Yeah, I wonder. But I think we can assume it was probably. Because in order for her to be famous enough, they just put her on the Gary Moore show. Right, it was prob- probably. I mean, but it was before the. F- it was before the, before the film. Yeah. So maybe it was after. There was a six year. With... There was a six year period. Yeah, maybe it was post. Um. um Mary Poppins. Anyway, maybe. just interesting. Anyway, yeah. Um. Okay, so. No, very valid. Right. Just um, you know, I'm just firing back with my own research. No, no, that's really good because I, I I opened up with a question, an assertion like this is not a Christmas song, and now you're explaining so, why. Why? Well, no, because I always wonder. I was like, well, what the hell? Yeah. It makes no um, sense. I agree. Like I, I just knew it was stupid, but I didn't even give a second thought to why. Is there like a lot? What are the lyrics to that song? Is Raindrops on roses. Yeah. Um, bright paper packages wrapped up is in that strings. It? That mu- uh, that's the only way I can think of it. Is there but some th- lines about snow or something? Pa- no. Oh, snow snowflakes that melt snowflakes, on my nose and eyelashes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. The packages. Silver white winters that melt, melt into, into springs. Spring. So okay. it's really just that one verse. Yeah, that one verse is pretty. Um, but it's just about the winter. Like it's not Christmas specific. I mean, let it snow is actually not about Christmas. That's true. Um, All right. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to do a Christmas special for Broadway Binge. Oh, we should. We um, should we'll do, write, like, like, the, the main the Christmas best song. The worst, like... Broadway Christmas. Broadway Christmas. Yeah. But also, can we just talk about the Nutcracker? We can, definitely. <laughs> um, one more note for Doremi. Julie Andrews is good at a lot of things, but she is not good at pretending to know how to play the guitar. <laughs> watch, out, watch out for that next time you watch the movie. <laughs> just, yeah, like, I randomly strumming, <laughs> not, not even moving the fingers on her, like, yeah. her hand holding the neck of the guitar until, like, halfway through. She's like, oh, crap, I'm supposed to move the fingers. <laughs> I'm willing to assume that that's, like, the editor screwing her over, though. <laughs> just being like, don't worry about it, we'll fix it in post. Yeah. <laughs> they just didn't... <laughs> Um, yeah, that's so funny. Lonely Goat Hurts. I already played a snippet. I mean, of I it. just want to hear that song again because okay. uh, I bet you it's not that different. The maybe I don't know. I'm yeah. Let's, let's give no yeah. It's way slower. <laughs> oh, and you know what? In the musical, this is what she sings to cheer them up in the thunderstorm. That would just scare me more if I was a child. I, if I heard this song. Although there there were no puppets, so there were no puppets. The marionette thing is when they went to Augsburg to film the movie, they saw that there was an Augsburg puppet theater. And I learned this in the the documentary after the movie when you watch it on Amazon. And so they saw that there was an Augsburg puppet theater that did like operas in in puppet in marionette form, and they said, "Let's do that in the movie." And now many years later, they've actually made a the same puppet theater that they saw, which inspired them to do this in the movie, um, because so many people go there because of the movie, they ended up doing a production of Sound of Music with marionettes. What? Which is their most popular show. They still do it. Um, Where? In, 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 the in the city, of Augsburg, where they film this. cool. And okay. in the scene, Lonely Goat Herd, because the puppet show is based on the movie version, not the stage version. Right. So when they get to that scene, the marionettes are holding little marionettes. <gasps> That's charming. And it's really terrifying. I mean, what, what's the name of the theater? Um, Augsburg Puppet Theater would be my guess. I'm looking up an image just because I want to react to that live. 
Mary, and that's... Let's see. There it is. There's pictures. Oh, not with the Nazi flag in the background. I know that's part of the show. Puppet Nazis. But that's, like, that's really upsetting <laughs> to me. Okay. We're looking at pictures now. I want to find one where the marionettes have marionettes, because that's upsetting also. I don't know if there's going to be a picture on, uh, on Google Images. I will say that, like, I do find marionettes, like, particularly intriguing and upsetting. Yeah. Well, you, you've done puppet work in your shows. Is that true? But you've worked, you've I've worked, worked with, with Sarah a little Outing bit. a little bit. I've worked with Sarah Outing, who's a she genius. Does, yeah, she does marry. No, that is true. We advertise Bicycle Face as having puppets in it. it really just Why? Has. There's the one part where the hand goes through the sleeve of the... Oh, I don't even remember that. Well. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's Hannah's uh, critically acclaimed one woman show. <laughs> yes. Um, We're doing it next year in New Jersey. Did you yes. know about this? Did I tell you that no, You've told me nine okay, billion I'm times. I'm sorry. We talked about it on the phone two oh, nights ago. Well, you okay. know... Um, oh, we did talk about it on the phone two nights ago. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay, so now I'm going to play a cover of Lonely Goat Herd. Great. We Wait, played this on what? the podcast before. Oh, we talked about this. This is the most baffling hit song of 06. Yeah, wait. This is off of um, Gwen Stefani's The Sweet Escape. <laughs> We've already talked about this. We did. I think on the no, Pajama Game yeah. episode, maybe. Like, honestly, what were they thinking? Did she also did you sample um, if I is this if I was a rich man? That was earlier. Why? Here, listen to this. This is not even a good song. No, I'm. And this confused. part has, this part doesn't match with the. It has nothing to do with being a lonely goat herd. Did they just like what will nobody get mad at us for sampling? I don't I don't understand. I think she just wanted to sample Lonely Goat Herd because then that part of the song doesn't even match musically with the other part. It's really confusing to me. Like well, I don't understand. Yeah, the I logic. Think that's the most baffling Broadway cover. Wind of all it time. up. And it's also it's not just that she did it because it'd be one thing if that was just like a song on her album, but that was a hit song on the radio. Why? Who did this? I feel like somebody. When Stefani. I mean, but she like, clearly like, loves Broadway because she earlier wrote a good hit with "If I Was a Rich Girl," which yeah. actually is good and actually takes the. <laughs> the actual song and like makes it into a good modern pop song but this was not that um okay so wind it up blah 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 blah. the track contains an interpolation of the sound of music song will only go heard it was negatively received by most music critics who criticized <laughs> the song's use of yodeling and found the track to be over the top yep it was released as the album's lead single on october 31st that was the lead single for sweet escape which is a good the album top 20 in many music markets the accompanying music video which became popular on stations blah 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 uh, takes influence from the sound of music. Which I would imagine. Well, yeah, I'm curious. I've not seen that, though. Yeah. Um, we'll have to watch that separately. Yeah, okay, she lit- Stefani asked the DJ to create a mashup of that <laughs> song. <laughs> Why? It's her favorite um, Stefani film. considered the sound of music her favorite film, and she wanted to incorporate a beat to one of its songs. And that's what you pick? Oh, my God. Uh, Stefani commented, I literally cried, and I'm not exaggerating, when I heard the mashup. <laughs> Williams, oh, she, however, she wrote it. She wrote it with Pharrell Williams, who didn't like it. Yeah, Williams, however, <laughs> did not like the addition of yodeling and the sound of music to the track. That's oh, I see. Okay, so we skipped the part. Pharrell Williams wrote the rest of the song for her. The part yeah. that I said sounds nothing like sound of music, <laughs> and then she just took Pharrell's song to a DJ and asked them to stick "Lonely Goat Herd" in it, and Pharrell yeah. was pissed off. Pharrell Williams, oh man, wow. he's pissed off because she DJ ruined his song. Jeremy Healy created the matchup. DJ Jeremy Healy, you ruined that. <laughs> I mean, not honestly, Pharrell, you've done better than like the rest of Wind It Up. If we're being yeah, honest, yeah, you're so. doing fine. Um, um, Wind It Up received generally negative reviews. Anyway, okay, um, well, I guess let's continue talking about the sound well, of music. All right, fine. I think it's so funny. <laughs> um, all right, I mean, yeah, I think we should probably transition into talking a little more about like you know, do we want to talk at all about kind of the piece? Holistically, narratively, thematically, yes. Any of those um, one note first. Okay. The Baroness is functionally identical to the stepmom from The Parent Trap. Change my mind. I don't think I have anything to say to refute that. <laughs> I mean, the stepmom in The Parent Trap is clearly Which more evil. Trap? The I mean, the more let's say the more modern one. Like okay. she comes mm-hmm. in, she wants to marry the dad. She explicitly yeah. says she wants to send the children to boarding school. Yeah. Although this one sort of goes away, she recognizes that she's lost and just leaves, whereas the other mom, the stepmom sort of gets up to hijinks. Meredith, isn't that her name? Meredith, yeah. <laughs> Meredith was like, um, actually, really, it's the kids, it's the low hands who get up to the hijinks right. more so, but still. Um, that woman was more openly evil and marrying him for his money, whereas in this case, it's actually sort of she has the money. Right. Um, but, oh, wait, I just wanted to point that out. Just my, to point my, that out. My entire childhood, because I, I grew up with both these movies and I always like connected the characters. Sure, so. that was like a specific thing for you. Yeah, okay. Um, okay, great. Well, to that, uh, to that, to that, 
on that en- on that note to that end i don't know um transitioning are there let's see if there's other songs um, great great the, uh, i'll play bits of uh i mean edelweiss i love yeah um, edelweiss is great um you know i'll, I'll play a little bit of edelweiss actually because i have a, a note on that so oh. Chris- so for the most part, this uh, movie is not dubbed, but um, Christopher Plummer did not sing. I actually think they found someone who sounds really? uh, very similar to him. Um, let me find Edelweiss. That's the reprise. Oh, do they not even have? Edelweiss, Edelweiss. They actually. That's I'm actually not finding um, whatever soundtrack I have on Spotify. I don't think has the first Edelweiss for some reason. Hmm. Um, but here's the reprise from the very end of the movie where he sings it. I think it's much more emotional the first time. Although the second time they sing, it's emotional too because the whole crowd joins in. I'm not. I just wanted to sort of like give you a taste of, of that guy's voice. Um, so that singer who dubbed Christopher Plummer, his name is Bill Lee. He's most famous for having minor roles in a lot of Disney movies, like um, sort of like Disney smaller movies in the 50s and 60s. He'd be a background singer. Um, Bill Lee also uh, was in one other movie we've talked about so far. He dubbed a different character. Uh, what in, are you, Jeremy? Truly evil. What are you uh, Bill Lee was the singing voice of <laughs> Lutellen. No. <laughs> no, not that again. Why won't that die? Um, so every time from now on, whenever you hear Edelweiss or hear Christopher Plummer singing <laughs> in The Sound of Music, know that that is the same singing voice as Lutellen well, from was, South wait, Pacific. It was a really troubling piece of dubbing, if I remember correctly. Right? Yes. So that was different. He actually sounds like Christopher Plummer, but that guy's like, Hi, I'm I'm uh, I'm Lieutenant Cable. This is my speaking voice. Um, you wait, little girl, or like whatever it is. Like <laughs> I mean, that just speaks multitudes that he's also dubbing Christopher Plummer. Um, You're so pleased with yourself. I was was shit-eating grin on my face. I was leading up to that. (laughs) And I was like, what's wrong? What's happening? Um, Okay, yeah, but Edelweiss is like the song that I feel like every child imagines their grandfather singing to them. I don't know why. Yeah. I just remember watching this. No, it is. I remember watching The Sound of Music at my grandparents' Mm -hmm. house as a kid, and that is why there's like this sort of um, unbreakable sense of like, dearness and nostalgia tied to it for me which i think is probably true for many people in our generation mm-hmm. but, um yeah i don't know some other notes i'm, I'm mm-hmm. not gonna play any of this but so long farewell great song i especially yeah. love the way that they escape to it I in the end it. that's I really did. iconic where they each go into the blackness and then like mm-hmm. the von trapp family singers and they don't come out like yeah. i know family guys parody that it's like a it's like a thing you know, right. it's super iconic um it actually i feel like that sort of comes from a long tradition of german cuckoo songs what um, cause like, they go like, cuckoo, oh, yeah. cuckoo, okay. and there's, um, the, actually one of the oldest songs, um, in the entire English language, and this is an old English, or like early middle English, really, um, so it's not, um, like what we would think of as English, but there's a song that's often called the cuckoo song, um, or sumer is a coming in, what? um, so this is actually one of the oldest songs in the English language, um, what? and it's sort of like, it's like part of this cuckoo song. I hate this. Okay, so that's like the oldest song in English, more or less. And um, Sumer is a coming in. And, and then the whole, and then the background the whole time, like, sing, cuckoo. So it's sort of, I feel like Roger and Hammerstein, they tend to do their research and write songs that are sort of in the, like, that feel like the location they came from. And that mm-hmm. song with the kids all being like, cuckoo. Like, it, it reminds feel- me a lot that so they really did their research there all right all right so i want to shift gears here we've talked a lot about comparing the film and the musical i do want to just talk about like what the story and what this musical is doing structurally and thematically yeah go ahead i mean i don't know that i've like i mean i don't know i want to discuss it with you yes but i mean it's 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 um also like a musical about a family and um the like you know threat of world war ii um and and nazism Mm -hmm. is that the right word yeah, Nazism. 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 Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, fascism. Fascism. Ooh, yeah. whoo, happy July Fourth, everyone. Mm. Um, oh man. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I feel like we haven't talked. I'm trying to think of other musicals we talked about that engage politically. So none of them have engaged with World War II, and it's important yeah. to note this, when the musical came out in '59, World War II had only been done for 15 years. This was not some ancient history thing. Like people right. in the audience had fought, and we actually, you know, we talked about this with South Pacific, yeah, which was the Japanese front. Right there it is. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of, and I think one of the reasons it was criticized when it came out is that it sort of was like a cutesy version of World War II, which yeah. is this brutal thing. Like, people are coming back, they have people PTSD. Mm-hmm. We've seen what happened in the concentration camps. And they, they sort of just write this, like, like dorky, fun little show that sort of t- treats the whole thing lightly. Right. And, like, yes, they have to run away from the Nazis, but it never feels like they're in real danger, I guess. Well, so, like, a year after this movie came out, Cabaret the Musical came out. Yeah. Which, which is worth noting. And yeah. that's, like, such a different spin on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so funny. Like, I obviously, they're about a similar period in history, but just completely different completely approaches. Completely different approaches. Um, that's really interesting. So you feel like part of the backlash might have been that people, like, were not interested in this sort of saccharine that was ex- story. That, that yeah. was explicitly part of the yeah. backlash. That, that was, like, that was like in, in the reviews. And I think the movie, yeah. it's, it's 20 years after the war, so a little more removed, and also just... I think it was a little darker and a little more ominous. Like, you're really yeah. worried. You really love the dad more than you do in the stage version, and you're worried that he's going to get taken away by the Nazis. Mm-hmm. There's, like, the stuff with the gun, and you're, like, it's it's more threatening and troubling. I wonder if that's part of why it also even holds up better today is, like, I feel like, for me, the story is about the clash of, like, nostalgia and the real world and, like, mm-hmm. the specter of evil and war in the world. And at the time that this came out, like, we didn't yet feel nostalgic for it. Yeah, you know, like we didn't. We didn't. We didn't need to be shown how World War Two affects like yeah. people in Austria, because like everyone already knew how World War One fe- or sorry World War Two. Everyone knew how it felt like mm. to be living in this world where this thing is like approaching in the background. Yeah. Um. Now it sort of transports us there, and and like what's this feeling of like everything's going wrong in your country, and you're worried that things are going to get even worse, and like should you be ignoring the rising fascism of your leaders, or should you be more like. <sighs> Well, worried about it. Um, yep. Happy fourth. Happy fourth, everyone. Um, um, okay, do we want to talk any more about the romance between Maria and Dad? Oh, um, it, I mean, yeah, it's like Christopher Plummer's so cute. The fact that the that the actors are so likable, it, it makes it more believable and feels less strained. Yeah, um, I mean, it is sort of. I, I, I mean, not with the romance plot, but I, I can't stop thinking about Mary Poppins actually. And how, like, I, I wonder about just the stage dynamics um, versus the film and versus the fact that they'd seen her in Mary Poppins mm-hmm. and then, which I didn't know, and then put her in Sound of Music and how that affected, like, a lot of the relationships and the feeling and the track of Maria, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Um, I think this is a good spot maybe to actually go back to the original cast album for the final time and then we'll Great. start to wrap it up. Beautiful. Wind it up. What? No, not this. Um, so there's a few songs from the original album that did not make it into the movie. Um, there was not um, Something Good, which is the movie song. Um, Perhaps in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good, which is they go to the pagoda where 16 going on 17 happened, and they sort of have this like very subdued number. Rogers wrote the lyrics for that one too, but I think it works okay because it's, it's such a simple number. Um, the mov- The musical has a different number, so I don't remember which of the songs that I don't recognize from the musicals, like by the Baroness and Max singing sure. which one is them. So I'm just going to play a few songs that we don't know and let's just like listen how they sound. She oh, nope. That's 16, 17. Here we go. Here's one. In all the famous love affairs, the lovers have to struggle. This is, I think this might be Max singing, like the guy who buys the marionettes in the movie. Yeah. Unless this is Captain Von Trapp, actually. He sounds like Yul Brynner pretending to be Siamese in The King and I. That is also true. This is the Baroness. The song is called, I believe. What love is. How can love survive? Uh, I'm not into it at I all. Okay, so yeah, this and this is slow and it goes on for three minutes, a, yeah. a slow three minutes and four seconds. Yeah, this is maudlin. That's not the right word. It's terrible though. Is this climb every mountain probably? Okay, let's keep going. Oh, here's here's the Baroness again. I don't care for this. Why do we have to do this? Okay, so this is the Baroness and Max telling the captain there's no way to stop the Nazis. So just, like, go ahead. It's called No Way to Stop It. Sounds like a harpsichord or something. Yeah, I think it's just a guitar. 
This is the sound of music, everyone. Stop it. Stop. Turn it off. <laughs> it's, it's like a little longer. <laughs> no, I feel like we're punishing You have to catch a bus. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're right. I do have to catch a yeah. bus. <laughs> okay. Uh-huh. Um, and then finally, I think this is also a song. I think this one, next one is going to be the love song that was in the original show. <laughs> called An Ordinary Couple. If I just cornered a rando on the street, <laughs> like a rando who's familiar with Broadway, and played this song, and I was like, is this from the Pajama Game or Sound of Music? They'd be like, Pajama, pajama Game. game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's from Pajama Game Hamilton. <laughs> Sound of Music. I'm like literally falling asleep right now. Yeah, please stop. Okay. I do want to, before we end, I think like, we should close out the day, by the way, with Climb Every Mountain sung by Audra McDonald. Oh, okay. Because it is triumphant, but maybe that's just our outfit yeah, music you, at the put end. Yeah, put it on right now. Let's, let's give All it a little, because we didn't really play that song. No, it's so beautiful, and Audra McDonald singing it is just really special, and the only good let's thing. Let's make sure the thing is picking it up. The only good thing that came from the NBC version. All right, let's make sure we're picking it up here. Hold on. She's just so goddamn good. Yeah. All right, we'll skip ahead. Like, this is Uh, stunning. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, are you kidding me? All right, y'all get it. It's worth finding. You can get the whole f-ing recording on Spotify. Um, mm-hmm. The whole NBC version. Oh, they you... did some of the weird songs from, like, they did How Can Love Survive. Oh. Are you kidding me, Audra? Yeah. Wait. Yes. I think this song is the better version. Yeah. Hold on, let it end. I think this song is the better version of this song from Carousel. Um, you'll oh. never walk alone. You'll never walk That's alone. True. I, I always want it to be this song, and then it isn't. And then it's not. Yeah. Okay, let's rate the sucker, yeah? Yeah. It's um, time. So I'll just make a note um, before we get into, like, was it important? Because um, we didn't really talk about, like, the context of it and, like, whether it changed anything. So um, some of the books I have, uh, the the book I quote the most, Larry Stemple, in the introduction to his book, he's talking about how, like, he doesn't want to be snooty and just, like, talk about, like, the classic musicals that everyone says changed everything. And he really wants to talk about all the musicals. And he quotes a different um, musical theater history that he doesn't view as favorably. Or it's not necessarily that he's complaining about this other book. He's just saying his is going to be different. It's a book uh, by a man named Scott Miller called Strike Up the Band, A New History of Musical Theater. And in that book, Scott Miller says, Don't look for Brigadoon or The Sound hmm. of Music here. They played no part in the evolution of musical theater. Well... And Stemple says this is a limited outlook, which diminishes its that book's plausibility as a history. Hmm. Um, oh, and he, actually, another quote from Stemple before I finish. Um, he also mentioned that the film outraged musicologist Raymond Knapp for the scandalous reversal of historical realities through which The Sound of Music manages to sell a scurrilously anti-Semitic Austria as preeminent among Nazi Germany's victims. Oh, man, we didn't touch on that at all. We probably should have. Yeah, I mean, that's really valid. People think, like, oh, Germany's first victim was Austria, and the Anschluss, they came and rolled in and conquered Austria. But, I mean, Austria is, like, the home of anti-Semitism. Yeah. It's, like, the home of Wagner, who, like, wrote, like, extremely anti-Semitic, like, one of the fathers of anti-Semitism in Europe. Jeremy and I are both Jewish. Yeah. Like, Austria, and... Like, people are like, oh, Hitler wasn't even German, he was Austrian. Mm. Austria was the first among multiple German, like, little principalities. I mean, Austria was sort of the German nation-state, the German empire for centuries. Um, there was no country called Germany until, like, 1870, 1871, when Germany Prussia... was also a history major. European history major. <laughs> um, until Prussia, in, like, the 1870s, and beginning uh, 1870 and the decades leading up, sort of amalgamated all these tiny little German principalities um, that were really fractured and turned them into one country called Germany. Everyone had always thought that if there was ever one nation where all German speakers were in the same you know, country, it would be Austria that was right. leading it. Because for so long, Austria was in charge of the Holy Roman Empire, which was the closest thing to a Germany. But then, no, surprisingly, Prussia from further east, where Berlin is the capital of uh, Brandenburg, which merged with Prussia, and they conquered everything. So this Germany... Uh, this German nationalism of, like, the country of Germany had only existed for, like, uh, like less than a century, like 70 years when uh, World War II was getting started. 
So um, Austria, it wasn't a separate country from Germany. It was sort of the definition of Germany. And when it merged with, uh, they really wanted to get back together with Germany after World War One because they were so down and out, and they thought maybe they could do better and you know mm-hmm. be a stronger country and bounce back from World War One more quickly if they could all combine. And the Allies were worried that if Austria and Germany combined, they would be too powerful. So we prevented them from coming together. So um, we should not think of Austria as a victim of Germany. They were just as culpable in everything that happened as Germany was, if not more so. That being said, there surely were people in Austria who did not want the Anschluss. And we know this for a fact because Captain Von Trapp in real life was one of those people. And he did escape because he did not approve of the Nazis, just like there were many German people who escaped and did not approve of the Nazis. So, um, Well, there you go. A history lesson with one Jeremy Berman. Yes. Um, uh, Yes. Okay, we should rate this sucker. Yes. Um, also, in unrelated <clears throat> news, I'm officiating Jeremy's wedding, and I'm so excited Uh-oh. about it. And I just, uh, I keep telling everyone, so now all of our many listeners know yes, it's, it's going to be good. <laughs> Jeremy's getting married, uh, yeah. and uh, I feel uh, not at all tearful about it. So mm-hmm. certainly not. Okay, um, let us rate this musical. Yes. Um, okay, so first thing we want to say is, um, was it important? Right. I agree. Um, so I feel like we're gonna have some low scores. Yeah, cool. Wasn't important. Um, I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Okay. Uh, you want to explain or? I mean, I think you know the import is that like there's a huge cultural legacy surrounding Sound of Music. I don't think um, otherwise it had any significant role in the evolution of the Broadway musical. So yeah. So here I'm gonna. So this is tricky because we're really tr- trying to talk about the musical itself, not yeah. the movie adaptation. However, right. you sort of. In that, I mean, in that the musical spawned the movie exactly, right, and the movie valid. had an impact, I'm going to give it a higher score. I'm actually going to give it a six. What? I thought of giving it lower. What? Because, well, so my thought is it sort of is the American musical that a lot of foreign people grow up with. And I saw this in the documentary after the Amazon Fine. version where Julie Andrews is talking about how, like, there are tour buses of Chinese people who, like, go to Augsburg and go do the Sound of Music bus tour. And, like, people who she meets all over the world talk to her, like, Sound of Music is my favorite movie. Like, Sound of Music helped me learn English. Oh. Um, people okay. love. I mean, Sound of Music is huge. It's the third. Yeah, it's the third highest grossing movie in America after yeah. inflation. Okay, so. fine. Well, no. I mean, balance I, each other. I think we balance each other because I think you're right that the musical itself, three point five. That might even be a little high, to be honest. If we're just yeah. looking at the if musical. Just, okay, no, but it's hard um, to separate. And I mean, it's hard to separate. I yeah. agree with your statement that one spawned the other. So. Okay. So okay. was it good? This is tricky. I'm personally going to talk about whether I think the stage version was good. Yeah. You're welcome to do that or not. I think I'll talk about the stage version, and I do think I'm going to give it a. I'm still. Gonna, I'm going to give it a five. Okay. Because I do think there's some like really important songs that came out of it that like, and we wouldn't have the other versions without them. And they, you know, they they were written for the musical, and I agree they were improved upon in the film. Um, but uh, we would not have Audra McDonald singing. Audra McDonald singing at Climb Every Mountain without the musical. That's valid. And I feel like I'm giving it too low here. I'm giving it a 2.5. What? Which sounds absurd. That does sound absurd. Um, the thing is, yes, I mean, the, the songs can be good, but we listen to them. And if you'd gone to see that musical on opening night, you would not have left humming those songs to yourself. You would think they are bad songs. Okay, fair. And they eventually turned into good songs just through some reorchestration and speeding up and key changes. Yeah. But 2.5 is low. I'm going to give it a... a no, no changes. No, we're allowed to change. I don't think we can change. Because it's not like you influenced me. I just spoke too soon. I'm going to give well, it a 3.5. Okay, fine. 3.5. 2.5 right. is too... Because the thing is, like, yes, the, the actual melodies are good, and... Yeah, so I'm going to give it a 3.5 on was it good. Okay. Is it good? You're going to miss your bus. We have to do this right. I, I don't think I'm going to miss it, but we will do it. Um, okay. <laughs> is it good? So no, what are we talking now? Just like I know, if someone was going to know. Like, if someone was going to put up the show today with, like, with the musical mind, are we talking about... It's tricky. It um, is tricky because I feel like even when it's done now, it's still influenced by the film. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna score first this time. Great. I'm gonna give it a five. I feel like I'm gonna give it a five and a half. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I've always thought, even before I actually knew it was bad, I just like suspected. Like I was, I was never excited about the idea of going to see a high school production of it. I was like, eh, like it's gonna be long, and the actors aren't gonna be good, and I'm gonna be sitting through this long thing where like yeah. the teenagers won't be good. And like how many and like maybe a uh, professional production would be good, but it doesn't get put up that much professionally. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't realize we'd be talking about adaptation so much on this podcast, but I do feel like, particularly in these like musicals where their legacy right now is like from the late fifties, early sixties, a lot of their legacy is film adaptation, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense because it was also like such an important time in Hollywood. Um, so, ah, all right. So how we uh, how we sizing up over here? 
Oh, I don't have, so I don't have my usual laptop. So, so as he um, adds it up for us, why don't we just listen to... Um, <laughs> 28.5. Well, we could just listen to um, Carrie Underwood singing The Sound of Music, though. Let's do that. So it, it's a 28.5, which I don't... <laughs> oh, this is that boring old version. But it's Carrie Underwood singing it. <laughs> Let's skip ahead. This song should... It's, it's, just, just it's sure better when you're British. I don't think it was pre-recorded. I think it was live. No, no way. It's, no, it was that's the, whole, the whole point was that no, it was No, because they had a version. They have the version from Jesus Christ Superstar that is Oh, I see what studio. you're saying. You're saying like, this we're listening to right this now. Is, yeah. Okay, valid. Okay, stop. <laughs> stop. Um, so it got 28.5. I don't actually have our total scores in front of me, so I don't know where this ranks on the list. We'll tell you guys in the next episode. But I know 28.5 is not a good not score. Good. We've had things at like 60, I think, or so we've, approaching. So it's officially not in the upper docket. No, right. no. Well, this has been fun. Yeah. Jeremy came in real hot with some uh, real fun dramaturgy. We talked mm-hmm. a lot about adaptation. Um, touching the end on, I don't know, where this piece actually stands historically, which I think is uh, rather interesting. Um, and it's true that I'm here for this uh, Julie Andrews as a strong female lead. So Yes. Um, cool. Um, so everyone be sure to subscribe to Broadway Binge on any podcast app. You'll be able to get each episode when it comes out. And you'll also find the episodes with some links and pictures at our website, broadwaybinge.podbean.com. And check us out on Twitter at Broadway underscore binge, where you can join the conversation with us and various people from various countries. Yeah. We um, have listeners all over the world. All over the crazy. world. We honestly do. Um, <laughs> Is it an accident? Quite possibly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, please rate and review us on iTunes if you can as well. That'll help more people discover the podcast. Uh, so bye, everyone. Bye. Bye.